Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome to Fruit Loops Season 3, Episode 20. Thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we do not hear or know much about. Now, contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cisgender, white dudes. Oh, no, they are not. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. Allegedly. <laughs> and we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Mm-hmm. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also, Ooh. our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And if you're not on Facebook, you can join the discussion on Twitter or Instagram by using the hashtag Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. All of the footnotes for each episode, which articles and other media we use to source this story, the music notes, all that stuff can be found on our website. Everything Beth said is true. Now, if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App, which you can download to your phone. You can find online. Uh, just go, go to the Cash App and look for uh, Fruit Loose Pod. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. And we also have some merch for sale on our website at fruitloosepod.com forward slash merch. 
I was going to say, does Tee Public have a sale going on right now? I don't know. They did last week. We might have missed it. Uh, but anyway, you can get you can get your merch uh, on our website. And if you can't help monetarily, no problem. You can always give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And this is the most important thing. Be sure to share our show with your friends. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Zhang Yangming, a Chinese serial killer who was convicted of the murder of 11 males between 2007 and 2012. Mm, I can't wait to dive in. But before we do, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Getting ready to go fly to North Dakota to spend Thanksgiving with my daughter and my grandson. So oh, I wanted whoa, whoa. to say happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Thanks and I hope you have a wonderful day with friends and or family. Lots of cultures mm -hmm. have harvest celebrations. So that's what I like to think of Thanksgiving as a time to be thankful for the food we have in the company of our friends and family. Absolutely. Obviously, Thanksgiving has been severe severely whitewashed. Um, but I just, uh, I, I do um, am looking forward to the day. I, I, we are going to have an anti-Thanksgiving Thanksgiving. Um, we, it's just us this year, just me and my immediate family, me and my husband and my kids. Um, and we are not doing turkey. We are not doing any of that regular stuff. No pies, no nothing. We're, no um, pie? No, the plan is uh, to get crawfish. Oh, we're gonna yeah. pick it up from one of those. Uh, there's a couple crawfish places in Cajun town, places. Yeah, Cajun places. So crawfish and potatoes and corn and um, uh, again, <laughs> it is a day <laughs> that uh, you know we are thankful and everything, but I, we can't. <laughs> it's problematic. Pilgrim, yeah, pilgrim shit. <laughs> no, and my kids. My kids, yeah, forget about that. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we are not. We are not perpetuating that. But my daughter also has a birthday. Oh, Lord have mercy. And um, she we have we have like a party. And so I have all these like decorations and stuff like ready to go. We have tables. Well, we were going to do the brinca brinca, but it we have the severe hailstorm. So my roof came off like shit's, shit's oh, crazy yeah. over here. But, <laughs> but nonetheless, we are thankful to be alive. So anyway. So now we are going to dive into our listener letters. And let me just see if there are some angels knocking at the door. Um, oh, oh there they are. They are. <laughs> oh, so um, what do you got over there, Beth? Well, I wanted to be sure to say thank you to Stacy for leaving such a lovely voicemail that we had in our last episode. Yes, indeed. We forgot to talk about it in the episode, so we just dropped it in. But I wanted to give Stacy a big shout out and some hip hop air horns. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Stacy. Thank you. And also, uh, this is embarrassing, but Mixed Girl Maine on Apple Podcasts said, quote, I love the show, but the way that Beth says patrons instead of patrons makes me crack up. <laughs> I love the perspective <laughs> and focus on POC serial killers and particularly love the focus on the victims and who they were as people, if Wendy and Beth are able to find that information. I listen to a lot of true crime and the victims do tend to be the least considered in most of these shows. So I really appreciate the humanity of this show. That being said, I get so tense when Beth <laughs> says the bit 
about sponsorship <laughs> and the way she pronounces patron instead of patron cracks me up. Why? <laughs> I have no idea, but it's hilarious and like fingernails on chalkboard. <laughs> Is that a thing? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but besides that shade, sorry, Beth, I did hey. the show so much. Keep it going, ladies. <laughs> and uh, I don't know why I pronounce it that way. And I only realized I was doing it when I read this review. So... <laughs> You know, I try so hard to pronounce things in other languages correctly, but apparently I need to work on my English. <laughs> so anyway, this is for you, Mixed Girl Mate. And hopefully the last time you will hear this, patrons. <laughs> yeah, I was I was wondering, I do wonder why you do that, Beth. <laughs> but I wasn't going to say anything. I mean, I, I, my mother is an immigrant and she says some wild, like she pronounces stuff wrong all the time. And all the time, I, yeah. I, you know, I just, I'm done. I, I don't need, I don't need to, I don't need to do that with you. I have no idea. <laughs> I've, I've lived all over the country and maybe I picked it up somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> so, so when you see the word patron, what do you I think patron. Patron. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I don't so, know. I don't know why. Oh, you <laughs> joke. Uh, <laughs> so, so what um, do you got, Wendy? Bethany on, on Facebook said, uh, can I just say I love your podcast. You don't just tell the background of these individuals. You also break down the history of the area and tips and tricks to keep yourself safe. Every time I listen, I am shocked that an hour has passed because you are both so entertaining. Keep up the great work and thank you, Bethany. Yeah, thank you, yes, Bethany. Boo. We see you, boo. You get awesome. all the hip-hop air horns. Thank you. So now yeah. we are going to take a quick break and then we're going to dive into the story splish Flash when we come back. Hey there, I'm Andre Matthews, host of Bruh is a Murder, a true crime podcast about people of color cases made by people of color. We also include great music from up-and-coming artists in our musical breaks. Check us out. All right, we're back. <laughs> so, Beth, who is our subject today? Our subject is Zhang Yangming, a Chinese serial killer who is convicted of the murder of 11 males between 2007 and 2012. And it is believed that he also partook in a little bit of cannibalism. Yes, but um, given the time and history, which we'll get into the context um, I'm going to be honest. I don't know if it was the only one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, now we're going to dive into some stats. Uh, so, uh, Zhang Yangming, um, shout out to Zhang Gang, uh, AKA the cannibal monis, mon, monster, cannibal monster, the cannibal monster. Uh, he was a Chinese serial killer. Uh, he had about 12 victims. They were all males and his crimes took place as Beth said, um, from 07 to 2012 in Yunnan province, China. He was arrested on May 9th in 2012 and, uh, he was executed in January of 2013. His MO was strangulation and cannibalism. And uh, get this, he dried and cured the human remains and sold it in the market as ostrich meat. Now, mm. <clears throat> have you ever had ostrich meat? I have not. 
By the way, it gives you a lot of gas, but it is very tasty. <laughs> so, so now we are going to dive into the setting. Take it away, Beth. So the setting is Yunnan province in China. And China is a pretty homogenous society. So discrimination, racism and xenophobia might not be as apparent as it is in the West. China has a population of 1.4 billion people. Mm. When we talk about China, the three T's are touchy subjects. Taiwan, Tiananmen Square, or Tibet. There is so much history there that we can't even begin to scratch the surface. No, we try. Um, so we'll, we'll just give you a, l- a little taste. In general, in China, uh, the population may be more uh, homogenous than it is in the West. But there are dozens of quote-unquote recognized ethnic minority groups in China. About 90% of the population is referred to as Zhongzhua Minzu, which mostly consists of Han Chinese. And there are also some unrecognized ethnic groups in uh, China, which include um, Jewish Chinese people. There's Japanese people who live in China. Um, The Uyghurs, um, those are the Muslims in China who are not being treated very well. Um, And uh, there are also others. And you may have heard of the Hmong people in China. They're an ethnic group in China that is widely discriminated against. Many of the ethnic and religious groups that are unrecognized by the People's Republic of China or PRC, have been the subject of oppression to this day. Mm -hmm. Um, Hong Kong has been in the news lately. It was uh, a former British colony until 1997 when it was returned to China. And currently it is an autonomous region of China with different governing system and different legal systems under what is called the one country, two systems principle. Um, Hong Kong is more democratic and progressive than mainland China, and its governing system more closely resembles that of the British governing system. The protests have to do with a proposed extradition bill that would have allowed for the extradition of Hong Kong residents to mainland China, making Hong Kong residents subject to the Chinese mainland legal system and the ability through this bill to arrest voices of political dissent in Hong Kong. Hong Kong is, as Wendy said, more democratic and progressive than mainland China. And the Hong Kong residents were not going for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, we're not having it. They were not willing to bend, essentially. Mm-hmm. And due to the widespread protests, the bill was officially withdrawn in October. Yeah, but it, it there was a lot of um there was a lot of violence. I don't know oh, if anybody it was pretty died bad, or not, yeah. but there was a lot it was yeah, there was a lot that led up to it. And you know, shout out to people, you know, standing up yeah. to, you know, their oppressors. I I I I I think it's remarkable what the people it of is. Hong Kong yeah. did. Um so <laughs> the Chinese government might ask uh Podbean to cancel our show after we talk about this. <laughs> but I, I you know, look, they they stood up and it worked. Um, the practice of cannibalism has occurred throughout China's history, particularly, uh, quote unquote, revenge cannibalism. During tribal warfare, captured enemies would sometimes be killed and eaten. And during the Tang Dynasty in the 7th and 8th centuries, there were documented cases where Chinese citizens killed corrupt and tyrannical officials and would then chop them up and eat parts of them. Yum. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> and in 1949, the Communist Party took control of mainland China and established the People's Republic of China, headed by Mao Zedong. Between 
1958 and 1960, Mao initiated what was called the quote-unquote Great Leap Forward, a push to change China from an agrarian or farming society to a modern industrial society in just five years. Yeah, and I wanted to just quick shout out to the gals over at uh, Stuff You Missed in History class. They did like a three-part series on this period of time oh, wow. in China, and it sounded great at first. And we yeah. find out that it didn't end up that way. No. Um, so Mao established the People's Commune, which assigned nearly all Chinese peasants into organized communes, averaging about 4,000 to 5,000 households each. Uh, all privately owned property was taken for or contributed to the communes and people ate in communal dining halls. All work was shared on the communes and daily tasks were collectivized. Children were tended to in childcare centers by people assigned to work there. The hope was to increase China's agricultural output while also pulling workers from agriculture into the manufacturing sector. Unfortunately, Mao relied on some farming strategies that didn't work. The idea was to produce more food with fewer farmers, but the farming strategies that they used actually damaged the land and dropped crop yields instead of increasing them. But at first, there was t everybody was eating. Everybody yeah. was, woo, bellies full, woo, this is great. And then, eh, not so eh, much. Eh. Uh, the yeah, the Great Leap Forward was was supposed to be a five-year plan, but it was called off just uh, after three years. The period between 1958 and 1960 is known as the three bitter years in China. Um, and so so people had a lot of food and then they had no food. And people were like working in these in these fields to harvest stuff. And people were so hungry that they were just picking the stuff that they were supposed to, to harvest. And then when it came time to harvest... There, there was, was nothing, nothing there. And, and they were also shipping food out to the urban areas. So there was even yeah, less food. Yeah, yeah. right. And, and people were resorting to eating things that should not be eaten. Like, I, I, I can't remember what the, what, um, bark. the gals at uh, Stuff You Missed. remember one of them was bark. Yeah, tree, tree bark. bark and, and herbs. And people were eating things that were killing them and, and things that were poisonous because they were so hungry. It was just, like, not a good time. And so eventually... Cannibalism was resorted to as the people starved to death. Estimates of deaths due to starvation range in the tens of millions. Amazing. And the resulting cannibalism, yeah, it's a, that's that's a lot of people. And the resulting cannibalism has been described as, uh, quote, on a scale unprecedented in the history of the 20th century, unquote. Um, so that's it for the setting. And now we're going to dive into at least the little bit that we know of the killer's early life. Yeah. So take it away, Beth. So we mentioned in a previous episode that in China, the surname of a person is spoken first, then their given name. So Zhang Yangming's first name is Yangming, and his last name is Zhang. Mm -hmm. We unfortunately don't know much about Zhang's early life, and it's really difficult to get information on things that happen in China. Yes. Um, we don't know that. Um, well, here's what we do know, that Zhang was arrested and sentenced, sentenced to death in 1979 uh, for intentional homicide, which included mutilation. But then he was released in September of 1997 after receiving sentence reductions. When he was released, he was given some land, which... Um, that's really generous, near his village of Nanmen in Jincheng Township and a subsistence allowance from the local government. 
Um, so that's all we know. Yeah, not much. <laughs> and if you find, if yeah, if you know where to find us, if you have any more information. Now we're going to skip on down to the timeline. So take it away, Beth. Zhang lived in the village of Nanman in Jinqing Town, Jinning County of Yunnan Province, near the Chinese city of Kunming. He lived in a wooden shack on the edge of the village. He has been described as a quiet farmer who lived a hermetic existence who liked playing chess. Mm. Um, We're going to be talking about some of the disappearances and the names of the victims, though we have no way of knowing if these are entirely accurate or complete. Um, so... Starting on May 1st in 2007, Li Yang the 12-year-old son of Li Yudong, went missing. Mr. Li said he had been working on the farm on the day his son had disappeared and was surprised not to find him at home for lunch. When Hang Xiang did not return by 5 p.m., his father reported it to the police. He later said, we searched for him for months. We thought he must have been sent to work in a sweatshop or brick kiln. We spent all of our savings, some 80,000 yen, searching for him. The following June, 17-year-old Gu Jianwei went missing. And on March 25th, 2008, 17-year-old Lu Jianlong went missing near Nanmen Bridge. On January 2nd, 2010, 15-year-old Zhu Yong also went missing near Nanmen Bridge. On January 11th, 17-year-old Leo Zhu, a resident of Zhuanwei City, Yunnan, went missing near Jinyun Refrigeration Warehouse. The warehouse was across the street from where Zhang lived. Also in January 2011, 16-year-old Ji Heijun went missing. On August 7th, 2011, 16-year-old Zhu Jingwei also went missing near Jinyun Refrigeration Warehouse. He was watching TV with a friend when he went to use an outdoor toilet by the warehouse and never returned. His father believed that it was unlikely that he suddenly decided to run away from home while going to the bathroom. Right? <laughs> yeah. On September 30th, 2011, 16-year-old Chen Tao went missing near Nanmen Bridge. On November 6, 2011, 22-year-old Zhang Konglin also went missing near Nanmen Bridge. On November 12th, 2011, 22-year-old Ma Yanlong also went missing also near Nanmen Bridge. A lot of young boys, yeah. a lot of young men going missing near this bridge. Yeah. Um, in December 2011, Zhang was seen trying to strangle a 17-year-old, Zhang Jingyan, with a belt outside his house. At the time, the villagers called the police, but Zhang laughed off the episode saying, <laughs> he was just fooling with the boy. Okay. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> JK. Jai Shunzhen, whose son Haijun went missing in January 2011, said, quote, We reported to the police that Zhang had tried to strangle this boy, but they simply told us that he was mentally ill. And when they say he was mentally ill, are they referring referring to the young boy no, or to the Zhang. old man who tried to Yeah, the guy who tried to kill him. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, and 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 that was it, I guess. Yep. So on February nineteenth, twenty twelve, seventeen year old Kai Yunwei, or it might be Sai, but uh, it looks like Kai. So I, and if I'm pronouncing it wrong, I I apologize. Yeah, yeah, he, we're having trouble with, with these names. Yeah. So sorry if we're pronouncing <laughs> them incorrectly. 
we really do apologize. So he, uh, uh, Yoon Wei went missing near Xin Yoon Refrigerator Warehouse, uh, a common place where people go missing yep. uh, in the story. And on April 3rd, 2012, Hao Yoon Wei went missing from Jin Cheng. On April 7th, 2012, teenager Lei Sheng was dragged into a car by two men armed with a sword. <laughs> he was taken to a factory and forced to make bricks with other captives for 10 hours a day until he escaped on April 25th. That's interesting um, that it was two armed men and that he was forced to work and then later escaped. Yeah. Does... Do we know that if this one is related to Yang Ming? No, it's not related. It's part of the story. It's just part okay. of the story. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Lee's story led townspeople and police in Jincheng to believe the other victims could have been forced into similar circumstances. Illegal brick factories and forced labor were also in the news in 2010 when 24 people were freed from a quote unquote black brickyard in Xilin County in Yunnan. So I think because this kid was kidnapped and uh, forced into labor, uh, that the families and the police were thinking that the other kids, this is what was happening Uh, to the other kids. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. And then in another unrelated kidnapping case, but also in Jinning County, a boy was held for ransom for 10 days. Five men were demanding 2 million yen, uh, which is equivalent to uh, $318,000 in U.S. money, (gasps) for the boys' safe release before they were arrested by local police on May 4th. So I think this was another thing that people were thinking um, and the police were thinking that some of these kids were being kidnapped for ransom. Sure. Definitely gave the uh, investigation and the police some um, oomph, uh, uh, some steam. So on April 24th in 2012, Han Yao, a 19-year-old boy, went missing. He was last seen near Jin Yun Refrigeration Warehouse, a few hundred yards from Mr. Zhang's house. And this is, of course, the same place where several other boys had last been seen. When Yao's family went around the village of a few thousand people asking after Yao, they discovered that at least eight other boys had gone missing in exactly the same area in the last five years, six of whom had vanished in the last 50 15 months. That's a lot of bodies. Yeah. Uh, at least six families reported their children missing to the local police, but the police refused to investigate, insisting the children had just run off <laughs> from they their home on their own. No yeah. big deal. Don't worry. Yeah, they're just runaways. Only the father of 17-year-old missing Kai Yun Wei was given a case reception by Jincheng police. And we assume this means that his was the only official case that was opened and looked into by police. Local police were accused of foot dragging in their investigations, and the Kunming Public Security Bureau dispatched officers to Jinning County on May 3rd to assist in the investigation of missing teenagers in the area. The investigation uncovered that a serial killer had been attacking males who were walking along a road near Zhang's home. Mm. So now we're going to dive into the investigation and the arrest. Now, following a 20-day-plus investigation launched by the ministry and local police authorities, 56-year-old Zhang was arrested on charges of murder. Finally! (laughs) And when police finally searched Zhang's home, they found Han Yao's body, his telephone card, bank card, and other belongings. They also found strips of human flesh that were hung up to dry around his house, 
bags of bones and dozens of human eyeballs preserved in alcohol inside of wine bottles. Oh, my God. In a nearby vegetable garden, police found human bones buried there. Oh, my Lanta. Uh, Investigators allege that Yang Ming likely fed human remains to his dogs. There has also been an allegation that Zhang sold ostrich meat in the local market, and people suspect that it was actually human meat that he was selling. Well, now I got to call up the vitamin shop and uh, complain (laughs) because that's where I would get my ostrich jerky Ostrich meat. (laughs) Yeah. And now I have many questions. Yeah. Are you sure this is ostrich? Are you meat? sure this is ostrich meat <laughs> vitamin shop? <laughs> the investigation indicated that Zhang started to attack males who walked alone on the quiet road near his home where he lived beginning in 2007. They allege that after the murders, Zhang used various means, including dismemberment, burning, and burial to destroy the evidence. The Ministry of Public Security pledged to work with local authorities to punish any police officers found to be guilty of dereliction of duty. And on May 23, 2012, the county police chief and the head of the local police station were fired. Well, good. Yeah. So now the next part in the story is the trial. So here we go. What do you got, Beth? Zhang was tried in July of 2012, and he was accused of strangling 11 people and dismembering, burning, or burying their remains. Reportedly, a large amount of physical evidence and DNA comparisons showed that Zhang killed the 11 males. There were more boys, uh, obviously, than 11 that went missing, but he was only charged with 11, I think. And also, I had a question about, uh, you know, they reported that there was DNA comparisons and stuff like that, but that is a very short period of time. To mm-hmm. get DNA comparisons. So I'm a little. Yeah. And I'm not I, really sure about that. I feel really um, nervous about like commenting on China's government, but the way that they disseminate information and uh, collect information is not um, equal. It doesn't flow equally. Yeah. And so um, I have the same questions that you do. Yeah. Um, So Zhang's lawyers claimed that uh, he was mentally ill, but the court found him fit to stand trial. And in court, he reportedly showed no remorse whatsoever and would not apologize to the victim's families. He was found guilty. And when handed down its ruling, the court called his actions particularly cruel and flagrant. Flagrant foul. Yeah. Agree. (laughs) It has been reported that the death penalty is commonly practiced in China. And according to Amnesty International, China executes thousands of its citizens every year. Mm. This just leads me to think of Brian Stevenson, you know, the famous uh, criminal defense attorney who gets people off. And um, he talks about the death penalty and he talks about how... Um, do we as a society have the right to take a life? And um, that ought to be the real question, like whether or not this person deserves to die, who knows? But do we have the right to make that decision? Um, I don't think so. But I, yeah, I, yeah, I, uh, I've been persuaded. When we first started this podcast, I was like, death penalty all the way. We don't need to keep paying for these people to live. But um, now I know that it is much more costly to try to execute somebody um, and yeah. less beneficial to society. I mean, if you if you were to talk 
to a victim of a, of a crime, some victims of crimes might say, my loved one is never going to be brought back. Um, I'm not going to get my stuff back or whatever. Like um, having that person um, put away forever or killed isn't going to fix what I lost. So how else can we remedy this situation and this person? Yeah. My fear is always that they're going to execute people who are not guilty and and they have, you know, and oh, so, oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah, since the beginning of time. And that's the, yeah. that's the thing. Like, how can we sleep easy knowing that we didn't get it right? Yeah. Yeah. And once they're dead, there's nothing you can do about it. Exactly. It, you can't exactly. fix it. Yeah. yeah. So we, we got a, we got a lot of things that we need to improve on as a society in general. And I don't think yes. China's, China is any better or worse than the West. So now we're going to get into where are they now? So on January 10th, 2013, China state-run Xinhua News Agency announced that he was escorted to an execution site and executed. Twelve police officers were penalized for their dereliction of duty regarding the murders, including, as we mentioned, Da Qingming, the Jingming police chief, and Zhao Yuiyun, head of the Jincheng Township Police Station, who were both dismissed from office. Um, So now we're also going to tell you what we believe made the killer snap, and as well as our takeaways. So what do you got, Beth? This looks juicy. I can't wait. (laughs) So since there's so little information that we were able to gather together, it's, it's really hard to say. Um, but here's my thoughts. Okay. If uh, Zhang was 56 years old in 2012, that means he was born about 1956, right. which would have made him a child during the Great Leap Forward. Mm-hmm. And it's very possible that his family used cannibalism to get by. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't uh, squeamish about it, or mm-hmm. maybe he even became fixated on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was mentioned a few times in different articles that he had mental health issues, Mm -hmm. although they didn't say what those issues were. Also, he was incarcerated before, and I don't know what Chinese prisons are like, probably not good. So that could have contributed to his mental health issues. Sure. And according to one article that I read, mental illness is a closeted topic in China. Mm. Medication and modern psychiatric treatment are not really used. And according to a 2010 analysis uh, that was published in The Lancet, which is a British medical journal, about 91% of Chinese adults suffering from mental problems receive no professional help at all. Oh my goodness gracious. That is a very stark stat. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you're mentally ill in China, you're not going to get much help, most likely. Mm. Now, there was no mention in any of these articles about sexual assault, whether or not uh, Zhang assaulted these young men. Mm -hmm. But it's possible that there was. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chinese news agencies are are not very reliable. Because they're very censored. Right. Very censored. And Mm -hmm. there's also a question about uh, some of the articles questioned whether or not there was actually any cannibalism involved in this crime at all. But I read that the articles referencing cannibalism and the body parts that were found, like the eyeballs and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, they were published soon after the crime and then they disappeared mm. from the Internet. And as you mentioned, China is notorious for censoring. So 
I imagine they probably just got rid of those articles so that they wouldn't look so bad. Right. But I think that it actually happened. Yeah. It was kind of interesting to me that he had so many young male victims and that sexual assault wasn't wasn't um, even mentioned mentioned, anywhere. Um, I also thought it was interesting. um, So I don't know if this is true or not in the United States anyway, but cannibalism isn't a crime. Murder is a crime. And but, cannibal- but, but, but cannibalism is not. I don't know if that's, that's true. Crazy. So please fact check me on that because I don't really I don't know. I just heard it somewhere. That's a new one for you. Please fact check me on that. Yeah, please fact check me because I don't I don't know. But uh, murder is a crime. But I don't know if eating a dead body is. Um, hmm. Anyway, uh, but China in general, I think, is a really fascinating place to me. I'd love to go there just to see it and experience it for myself. And um, one of the things has always been interesting to me is the fact that it is a communist country in terms of like its laws. You know, there's no due process. There's no real freedom of speech. But there is enormous wealth in China. There, yeah. I mean, I don't know, name a fancy, fancy store that people on Rodeo Drive like shop at in Beverly Hills here. Like they're just on the streets in China and, and people just go in and buy stuff. But there is also devastating poverty at the same time. Um, yeah, there's is, a big gap. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's communist, so that's strange to me. It doesn't it doesn't compute. Um, but the idea of cannibalism, eat or be eaten, in my mind, kind of parallels with the oh, yeah. the, um, the the economics and the way society in in you know this sort of um, kill or be killed, right? Survive or not survive kind of um it is my perception of, of how chinese society works so um the cannibalism thing isn't a surprise yeah going to get a how not to get murdered ready <laughs> if you love true crime and you don't want to die here's a tip for you <laughs> <laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming we thought of this segment because i read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer this is not meant to blame the victims it's just learning from other people's mistakes sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. So this came from our girl on Instagram, Audrey Josephine. What up, girl? We see you, boo. And um, she uh, sent me a couple videos of some really cool locks. So uh, one is add a lock and it's a portable lock that you can take with you for additional security for your home or if you're like away on vacation at an Airbnb or um, in a hotel, you can put it on and it makes it basically makes your door like un. Uh, impenetrable um, from a lock's wow. perspective. So you can't, nobody can Very pick cool. the lock, nobody can turn it, nothing. Um, and then there's also the, um, she sent me another video uh, about a burglar bar. And it's uh, great for like a s- sliding patio door lock or like a sliding window lock or like if you have a basement sliding, like windows that slide open, you just put it in or even like a child safety lock on like a, a kid's bedroom's window. And it's for safety, security, and privacy while you 
you're traveling. And today, people are not only staying in hotels, but are also, again, staying in Airbnbs or private homes. So Adelok or this um, burglar bar is an ideal product to take along for additional security and privacy. And for the hosts that are renting out rooms and apartments for those travelers, the uh, Adelok is a good, like a, a perk that you can, you know, like oh, yeah. put in fine print on the bottom of your like Airbnb bag um, yeah. to promote your facility so that, um, you know, people know that it's safer and, and more private. So take that, Richard Ramirez. Um, <laughs> he's dead, but, you know, <laughs> he got into all those hotel rooms and stuff. Um, people thought the doors were locked, but he still got in anyway. Um, anyway, uh, also this other tip is for car safety. So this holiday season, when you get into your Lyft or your Uber so you don't get a DUI, check and make sure that the childproof lock is, whether it's on or off in the door that you get into. If it is activated, consider reporting the driver and getting into another ride-sharing vehicle. And if you find yourself locked in the trunk of a car, um, God forbid, uh, you are in luck if your vehicle is older than 2002 because federal law has required that any sedan manufactured after that date has a safety latch to allow humans who are trapped in trunks to open it, um, giving you a chance to escape. So keep that in mind if you are ever like in a, the most terrible of situations. But also the cool. child safety one is one I never even considered. I just hop on into yeah. those lists of those Ubers like, yeah. get on my never phone, not even paying it. attention. Yeah, yep. so... Yeah, think about it. Um, so next we are going to share with you some serial killer or true crime news. So uh, two things. Rodney Reeds, we um, shouted him out on our last episode where we did not have de- technical difficulties. You know, the one two weeks ago. Uh, but his execution <laughs> has been stayed indefinitely, which is good. So everybody's like participation into signing that um, petition that was going around worked. Um, so his ex- execution has been stayed indefinitely. And then second, in Clark, Atlanta, um, maybe it was a couple weeks ago now. A couple weeks ago, yeah. Uh, yeah. Alexis Crawford, unfortunately, her body was found dead in a park. Um, she was strangled by her roommate's boyfriend after she had an altercation with her roommate. And um, this happened at an HBCU in at Clark Atlanta University. Um, and the roommate and the roommate's boyfriend have now been charged with her death. And it's a really, really sad story. I hope there is a thorough investigation and that um, there is justice for Alexis. So I just wanted to um, yeah. shout out that story. It's a little bit old now, but there you go. So now we are going to dive into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by people of color or about people of color or any true crime goodies. Uh, just real quick, I'm going to say this is our Thanksgiving episode. And in the U.S., th- um, the Thanksgiving history has been completely whitewashed and the horrors of the genocide um, brought upon by the first um, white settlers who came upon the indigenous peoples has been comprehensively and thoroughly shared, taught, and uh, discussed, but in a completely inaccurate way. Indigenous yeah. peoples around the world, um, they're everywhere. In every part, there, there's an indigenous population and, and on everywhere. Um, but their histories have been forgotten um, and, again, whitewashed. Um, they've been disenfranchised. And the conversation about race is so often black and white that indigenous peoples can be kind of left out. And um, so is their mental health. So I wanted to shout out to um, Lucas 
Brown Eyes, at Lucas Brown Eyes, and I heard him on a, on an episode of, yo, is this racist? One of my favorite podcasts, by the way. Um, but uh, his name is Lucas Brown Eyes. And did you know, this is a total tangent, but on Facebook, you, they won't let you use your native name. Like, what? so he had to like manipulate Lucas Brown Eyes so that Facebook would allow him to, to use oh his God. birth name. Um, but shitty. so uh, another reason to not fucks with Facebook. Anyway, yeah. uh, shout out to um, a project he's created. It's called Native Pride Project, and they create care packages um, that come in the form of events, um, native speakers, uh, mental health professionals, and mental health um, treatment so that Indigenous kids can learn to love themselves and love their culture. And um, the website is nativeprideproject.org. You can donate money and this will help um, indigenous kids sort of um, foster good mental health for our indigenous and that's um, awesome. first people's brothers and sisters out there. So yeah. anyway, that's it. Can you say the website again? Yeah, it's nativeprideproject.org. Okay, cool, cool. Um, so mine is not quite as interesting. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. There was a lot of ads about it. So um, you might already know about it, but I wanted to shout out the podcast Detective Trap. Mm. It's a true story about a female Mexican-American detective mm. working on a serial murder case in California. And so far, it's been really good. Oh, They get into her family and her background, and uh, then they start talking about her police police work and mm -hmm. how she became a detective and what that's like. And it's really good. So I wanted oh, to recommend that. Yeah, I remember you telling me about it. So it, I have um, subscribed, but I haven't listened yes. to it, but I am. Yes. On, it's on my list. So give it a listen. <laughs> Thank you, Beth. So um, where can the people find us? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod, and links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can Google and mm -hmm. uh, look for Fruit Loops Pod, mm -hmm. or you can become a monthly patron through <laughs> our Podbean patron page. <laughs> this will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. We also have merch on our website at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. <laughs> Everything Beth said is true. You can fact check her. <laughs> all, the, all those things are true. Um, and uh, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there.
Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.